All right, thanks everyone for being here today. We're going to get started off with a quick video from the second stringers, the scrub podcasters, the folks that just didn't make the cut to be here tonight. Let's get going. Hi, Gooners. Hello, Arsenal fans. Hi, Gooners. This is Peter Drury. Lee Dixon here. This is super Kevin Campbell. This is Clive. Hello, I'm a walrus. Perry Groves here, Arsenal's second greatest ginger. Alan Smith here. This is Amy Lawrence here, sending you a big hello from the heart of Highbury. I could say I'm sorry not to be at Goonapalooza this weekend. I'm sorry I couldn't be there with you at the Goonapalooza event. Goonapalooza. To Goonapalooza. The Goonapalooza. 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 To Goonapalooza. But as it happens, I can't make it because that day I'm going to be recovering from having commentated on Arsenal against Southampton and that may require some rest. Uh, but Martin Keown is giving a masterclass on knee-high tackles and I thought I can't miss that, so I'm not going to be able to make it, I'm afraid. I'm going in for a, uh, a Rob Holding hair transplant, apparently, and I've waited a long time for it, so I couldn't miss it. But having just returned to Ireland, having spent three days and nights drinking basically all the tequila and beer that city has to offer, I probably need a, a little bit of time off. And I'm a little bit frightened about being in any way responsible if I do leave a one-mile radius of Highbury. But I'm a football dad. Like so many dads and, and parents out there, unfortunately, I couldn't get away. Because I'm having my ginger dreadlocks replatted. But as I'm sure you know, Lake Michigan is a freshwater lake and I need salt water. So it was a no-go. But uh, I was washing my hair that day. No, I wasn't, no. But even though I can't make it, I hope you all have a most fantastic time. I hope you all have an amazing time. I hope you enjoy the show. Dig deep uh, into your pockets to raise loads of money. Get your long arms into your short pockets and give generously. I hope you give very, very generously. As much as you can to support the great work of the Arsenal Foundation. The Arsenal Foundation. For the Arsenal Foundation. To the splendid Arsenal Foundation. To the amazing Arsenal Foundation to the amazing Arsenal Foundation. To the fantastic Arsenal Foundation. To the wonderful Arsenal Foundation. We're hitting incredible numbers and it's all down to you and this fantastic community. It is so fantastically appreciated. And most importantly of all. Before I go, of course, we're gonna say. Up the Gunners. Up the Arsenal. Come on, Arsenal. Come on, you Gunners. Come on, you Gunners. Come on, you Gunners! Up the Arsenal! Come on, you Gunners! It says here... Come on, you Gunners. Well, I'll catch you on the next one. Maybe the end of May? Could we have something to celebrate? I might be able to drink a beer by then. After New York last weekend, I think I need a bit of rehab. Mike insisted I do this video. I don't know why. Maybe he's just a, a bad person. And remember... My old man said, be a Tottenham fan. I said, you're a, you can fill in the blanks. You can hear from my voice, I'm not at 100%. Good. Okay, goodbye. There was a lot of competition for these spots and that, you know, just not good enough.
<laughs> Welcome to Gunnar Palooza Live. My name is Mike. I am very humbled and honored to be hosting a very special show for you all today with some very special people for a very, very special cause. Uh, we've got a great show planned for you today, so let's get right to it and introduce our star-studded panel. First, we're going to start from people who live close to Chicago <laughs> and go further out from there. So, he's a man of many talents, of which podcasting used to be one of them. He, along with some of the other panelists tonight, hosted one of the podcasts I used to listen to when I was trying to figure out what you had to do to be a podcaster, and clearly I did not learn the job the correct way, but uh, that's probably not his fault. He's a man who's changed his names a number of times, once known as Miami John. He's also been known as J-Dog, J-Diddy, the artist formerly known as Miami John, and now that he resides right here in Chicago, he's finally settled on the very original moniker, Chicago John. <laughs> So let's give it up for the man called Chicago John. Now, John, you mysteriously disappeared last night. Um, we just assumed that you were so gutted yeah, by the game yesterday. Um, what happened? Uh, okay, so I, I set an alarm for 7, and that turned out to be 7 a.m. Uh, so I went home to take a nap and then woke up at like 10.30. <laughs> and I said, well... Yeah, so apparently it was still going on for quite a while here. It was, that, but then yeah. I was, I'm not going to show up at 10.30. Next, no, just like John, this man resides in Chicago, but unlike John, he's clearly a native. His accent just screams Chicago. You may know him as Paul. You may know him as Paz, which is apparently something you're supposed to do in your pants. He has the singing voice of an angel. Actually, sorry, I mean that I've heard his singing voice at a karaoke bar in Angel. He's one of the core members of the world-famous and award-winning Arsenal Vision podcast and an all-around lovable guy. Let's give a warm welcome to Paul. <laughs> woo How did you enjoy your, uh, your, your Gooner Palooza so far? Uh, apart from the game, which was a bit shite. <laughs> uh, no, it was brilliant. Uh, met loads of people last night through the day, talking about how they listened to the podcast, it was fantastic, uh, mowing their garden, working, walking the dogs, taking showers, that was popular with two people. Um, and I'm oh, I thought that's what you did for the people that you were talking to. Also. Yeah, for the Patreons, yeah. <laughs> and I'm just delighted to see what you guys look like when you just have to sit there and listen to a podcast. So. <laughs> It's always different in life. Yeah. 400 miles from Chicago lives a man who is the master of reverse psychology. For eight years, I've been asking people to follow me on Twitter, crookets. He goes out and tells people to block him on Twitter at Yankee Gunner and has fucking 100,000 people following him. So, uh, seriously, though, this man is one of the truly good ones. He's a guy whose talent, energy, and drive have vaulted him to Arsenal podcast superstardom, yet he uses his evil mind-controlling uh, powers for the greater good. He's the founder, host, organizer, and chief speed talker of the Football Content Awards gold winner for Best Premier League Podcast, the Arsenal Vision Podcast. Please clap your hands for the one, the only, Elliot Smith, a.k.a. Yankee Gunner. I'm a lot taller on audio. <laughs> and I think we can all agree that Paul is too tall. He should not be that tall, and it is offensive to me that he is that tall, but thank you for being here. Uh, you do not have to switch your players to 1.5x. They will now be on 1.5x for the rest of the afternoon. 
Now, I had the, uh, the, the privilege of spending the night before you did your Union Chapel show with you, and I know that you were up until all hours doing karaoke and then still managed to have a great show the next day. It's happened again, hasn't it? It's happened again. It's happened again. He oh, sang karaoke. It, it happened, happened again. again. Yeah. <laughs> sorry I missed it, but I'm not sorry I missed it. Sorry, not sorry. The last two are people who I truly consider like family. One, my sister. The other, both my son and my father at the same time. First, joining us from the City of Angels, we are joined by somebody truly special. She's worked in Los Angeles with all kinds of really famous people, like even more famous than Elliot, if you can believe that. Now, while some people, not me, have stood up on a stage and said that people from Los Angeles don't know anything about the Premier League, I think we all know that that's just ridiculous. And there's no better example of that being ridiculous than our next guest. Over the last three years, I've watched Sophie go from a casual podcaster to a true force in the game. She's invested her time, her creativity, her relationships, and her incredible energy into growing the Highbury Squad into a can't-miss 8 p.m. UK hour, plus Sophie time. <laughs> For a legion of gooners who name themselves squatties, and there's a lot of squatties here today in the, in the, grout, in the crowd. She's the Greek freak, the Giannis... Can, I can't even pronounce that. <laughs> Let's hear it. Nice. Of Arsenal Podcasting, where I am a Socrates Papastopoulos. Mitropanos. She's an amazing podcaster, but an even more amazing human being. Put your hands together for Sophie, the soccer diva Nicola. Hi. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm really so stoked to be here. Uh, I was actually coming to Chicago for my 20th anniversary, and my partner wasn't well and couldn't come, and now I'm here, and I, I just love, I've always wanted to come to Chicago, love this city. Chicago Gooners have done a cr crazy good job. It's uh, just wonderful being among all of you, and I'm really excited to be sandwiched in between podcast legends here. <laughs> And so, we can't uh, yeah. wait for you to lead us in a rounding rendition of North London Forever, your favorite song. <laughs> Good old Arsenal, we're proud to say your name. While we sing this Last but not least, you ready? The man who's flown 4,000 miles, and he told us he would fly 4,000 more just to... No, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> when I met Tom, he was a school teacher in Kent teaching 13-year-old girls geography. And he was like 18 at the time, which I have no idea how that's allowed. But the man had a dream and a talent, and it wasn't about teenage girls. It was about talking and writing about football. Over the last seven years, Tom has taken the Gooner Talk TV from a, a YouTube channel to the stratosphere with nearly 50,000 subscribers with his daily 8 a.m. podcast, as well as his daily 10 a.m., 1 p.m., 3.30 p.m., 4 p.m., and 9 p.m. podcast. And he's taken TGT from not winning any awards to winning... FCA Best Podcast Awards year after year. He's gone from writing articles about indigenous Albanian second division football to now sitting in the press box and the press conferences at the Emirates and, and at other uh, Premier League stadiums covering the arsenal for football.london. He's half my age, but twice as mature. Let's hear it for Tom Canton. I knew the intro was going to be... Something, but that was a yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was technically something. It was something. No, it's, it's honestly this. 
Dodgy, dodgy is the word. Dodgy is the word, yeah. No, I've been so welcomed by so many people. Like, I could not have picked a better city to come over to. And, uh, yeah, a massive thank you to everyone that's made me feel so welcome. It's been amazing. I just want to say the number of cards in front of Mike right now leads me to believe the introductions may take longer than one of my questions for Clive. So <laughs> we will get to the football chat eventually. Just sit the, tight. The introductions are done now. And your voice is recovering a little bit? Not yeah. at all. It sounds like this one. Yeah, not as much as Elliot's. No, no, it's great. No, it's been wonderful. Yeah. So we are here to talk about the Arsenal, but it would be irresponsible not to spend a little bit of time talking about the amazing things like this that the Gooners can do when they put their heart into something. Elliot, we know that you're generous AF, you're driven AF, and charitable AF, so much so that AF now actually stands for Arsenal Foundation. Um, See what you did there. Yes. So um, please, if you will, uh, let's start with a video. Uh, Henry, if you can play the video about the Arsenal Foundation, then we'll, I'll hand the mic over to you for figuratively. Come to a live event to watch me watch a video of me. Hey everybody, uh, not the usual nonsense for me this time, so hopefully you can bear with me, but as you can probably tell, uh, not in my usual environment. This is the Zatari refugee camp in Jordan, an 80,000 person refugee camp for people who have fled the war in Syria. Of the 80,000 people here, 40,000 of them are children. And you probably know by now that last year, as a community, you showed up in an unbelievable way to give. And we're going to be asking you to give again this year, as we will. But this time, I wanted to have the chance to see the people that was going to impact so that as a community, we could really understand the difference we can make. And what the Arsenal Foundation is doing here is saving the lives of young people, young people who are at risk of gender-based violence, of child labor, of child marriage, who don't have the skill set to help stand up for themselves and to enforce their rights and see a brighter future. And what the Arsenal Foundation, together with Save the Children, does with the coaching programs here is they take what they've learned with Arsenal and the community in North London and they transport it to this place and bring hope to these kids to create sustainable resiliency. And they need it. And they need us because without us, that program goes away. You're going to hear from mothers and fathers and young girls and young boys who are in this program and for whom it provides them everything they need to be able to live a fuller life. So we will be asking you to give. We will be giving. I can't wait to share the story with you, and I can't thank you enough for being part of the community and being willing to be a part of this project. Hey, guys, it's Matt Turner here. I just wanted to give a big shout-out. We'll save that for the end. <laughs> Could have used him yesterday. <laughs> I mean, I mean... <laughs> I mean, I ask you to block me for a reason. The opinions are shit. <laughs> now, Elliot, you... Let's just check on how this little fundraiser thing is doing. You've got a couple quick... Holy shit! 363,000 pounds raised pounds. for the Arsenal Foundation. I'll do this really quickly. Can I just add, Elliot, that's, that's $450,000. I mean, it depends on what the UK government does. It might be $360,000 by tomorrow, but... Uh, look, you're not here. You're here for football chat. We'll definitely get to that. So I'll do this as quickly as I can. Going there was obviously a life-changing moment. We often say we wear the uh, we wear the badge with pride that we're proud of what our club does. What they're doing in the Zattery camp is extraordinary. It is one of the largest refugee camps in the world, and more than half the people there are children. And the amount of suffering there is immense, but the amount of uh, joy and hope and prosperity that the club is bringing to young people is just is is phenomenal. So. A lot of people have given, and we're not here to say, please give. Like, whatever you did, whatever you want to do, great. The most important thing is just it shows that the club is about more than just what we do on the pitch. 
Um, and while that's why we're here and what we're here to talk about, when we come together as a community, we can do great things. So thank you for being a part of that. Uh, I feel very privileged to have been there, and I can tell you that we can all feel very proud of the badges that many of us are wearing on our chest today because the work they're doing is incredible. So thank you for that. As someone who's spent a little bit of time trying to raise money for charity, it's, it is not easy, and I have the utmost of respect for what you and, and you and, and everyone that, was, you know, Andrew and, and then everybody that has uh, hopped on that has done. It's unbelievable, and it makes me so proud of this fan base and this football club. Uh, so I started organizing the format of this podcast a few days before the Liverpool game. So, needless to say, I was kind of <laughs> hoping and expecting for a fairly celebratory, upbeat podcast, and then, you know, the last 60 minutes against Liverpool, the last 60 minutes against West Ham, the most of the game yesterday. Um, so, we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about the game yesterday, and then I will, we'll move into kind of how we're feeling at this point in the season about this most unique of Arsenal seasons. So, uh, starting about yesterday, well, first of all, Happy St. Totteringham's Day. Yeah. It's happened again, everyone. And appropriately in a toilet seat. Um, I mean, it used to be something that we were very happy about. I didn't see too many people screaming about it yesterday, but I think it'll settle in and it'll be a little bit more fun as the season goes on. Um, so about yesterday, John, what the fuck was that? I don't know. Uh, I, I felt like after that game, I really didn't know exactly how to feel about it. I was, I was kind of relieved, but in despair at the same time because, you know, we're going through this and it's this emotional thing. And right off the bat, we're you know, all these people are here flying all over the country, and there's this big event happening this weekend, so that might have added to it a little bit. But then all of a sudden, you know, within what seconds it feels like, all of a sudden the goals in the back of the net, and we're like, what is going on? I look at Tom, and Tom. Tom's like shell shocked, and 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 all of a sudden you're going. Now we're we're fighting, we're fighting, we're fighting, and more goals are going in the back of the net, and you're saying what's going on here? We get one back, and all of a sudden here we are. Um, the team fought back, which was great, I thought. But were you able to enjoy? I didn't enjoy a second of the game. Yeah. I didn't. Enjoy, <laughs> I enjoyed. I'll tell you when I enjoyed. When it was three three, and we had like eight minutes left, or whatever it was. I was like, "Yes, finally, let's do this. We're gonna." Do. And then, no, it didn't. It didn't happen. And then afterwards, I was. I didn't know what to do with my hands. I didn't know how if I should be happy That's or sad. Normal, to be fair, you never know. What to do I never know what to do with my hands, but at, at that point, I really didn't. So um, it was definitely bizarre. A bizarre game, and all of these thoughts start flooding through your head about the whole season and what does this result mean and what are we going to do from here and then we have City next week away and if we start like that against City what's going to happen and and it was very anxiety inducing um, so I don't know I didn't know what to feel about it Tom uh, now you were sitting next to Tom so yes did he or did, did he not know what to do with his hands and did you become part of what he did with w his well hands? <laughs> what happened with that third goal again? oh yeah I mean we were responsible for a lot of shattered oh, glass yes, all yes. over the table yeah, yeah no. the globe is uh, sending a party out to find you <laughs> yeah, I'm not welcome back there anymore yeah. <laughs> <laughs> your 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 overall feel, feelings I mean you you've mentioned on your 8 a.m podcast this morning that the atmosphere was incredible you enjoyed the you know you're not typically in a pub watching a game. You're either at the game or at home or, you know, as a fan or, or a journalist. Um, tell us about your experience watching the game and any feedback you have on the, uh, you know, kind of what this game means. I will, we'll talk about individual parts of it later. But. Yeah, of course. No, I think, you know, first of all, from the 
the globe perspective you know you you come out here and you you wonder what is fandom like abroad from a uk perspective because as we know soccer has grown ridiculously it's football mate. what's 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 soccer <laughs> soccer is what my son used to play stick to baseball tom <laughs> just trying to do the business mate. um but of course it has grown so ridiculously and i don't think i think a lot of people in the uk probably underestimate how much you guys love football yes. and and don't have an appreciation for the passion. I mean, I was nearly knocked out in that third goal in the Globe pub yesterday. And it wasn't just because of John's, you know, hands. But, but I think that ultimately, it's, it's amazing what I thought, how similar I felt after that game as I did after the Anfield game. How the complete opposite of what a game is can bring you the two same emotions of both relief in some kind of fashion, but also brutal disappointment of, of what we, we felt. Because after Anfield, you know, you've conceded late on and you're feeling like, well, we, we could have lost that game. You know, very easily could have lost at Anfield. But thank goodness we came away with a point. And then in yesterday's game, it's a case of, well, thank goodness, because we could have lost that game. But it's gone the complete opposite direction. And I think that chaos, you know, I don't want to use the terminology of if we don't go to win the league, but we need to prepare ourselves for that because it could happen. I'm really hoping it doesn't. But I think that performances like we've seen at Anfield like we saw yesterday, will be synonymous with a team that maybe is not yet quite ready to, to claim that, that glorious trophy. Well, and we'll get on to kind of that, that, that thought and what we have ahead of us in the next, what is it, six games left. Elliot, uh, you were at the Globe yesterday. Um, do you get You were able to see me amongst the crowd? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, because you were standing next to Paul. LAUGHTER <laughs> um, what was your experience like at the pub yesterday? Um, and obviously your thoughts on the game just from a, a, a standpoint of how it went yesterday. Did It, it was so opposite of the Liverpool and, and, and West Ham games in, in how we kind of fixed it at the end rather than blew, it, blew what we started at the beginning. But uh, how was your experience yesterday overall? It's frustrating. And I think anybody who says it's not frustrating is probably kidding themselves, right? I think we look at that game as one that if you want your title credentials to stand up to the test, then you have to beat the bottom team at home. Um, you know, I, I think one thing that's hard is because there have been so many people that want us to bottle it, want to say we're bottling it. Gary Neville wants to say we're going to bottle it. And we want to push back against that. And because we want to push back against the outsiders who want to attack our club from the outside, we want to resist the narrative from the inside. But if we're honest, maybe... Just maybe we bottled it a little bit. And it hurts to admit that because it makes those other people right. And we don't want them to be right about our club. Now, is it gone? It's not gone. But dropping a two-goal lead at West Ham and conceding three to the bottom team at home is something that a team with title credentials probably doesn't do. But I do have the words of Lee Dixon ringing in my ears a little bit. I talked to him last week, and he talked about 89 when we lost to Derby County, mm -hmm. when we drew at home to Wimbledon and felt it was gone. And because we felt it was gone, played with the freedom we had shown that season and were able to do it at Anfield where the pressure was sort of back on them because they had it. They just had to not let it slip. Um, and so maybe this shift in dynamic for a city team that has been stalking us down like the T-1000 Terminator they are with t two eyes on Madrid, maybe just maybe that psychology of, well, now it's theirs to bottle changes the, the dynamic a little. And this young team can put the smiles back on their faces and play with the freedom we've seen a lot of the season. And so I'll be interested to see how that psychological battle happens. But I don't think we should be scared to accept that this young team maybe, just maybe, felt that pressure psychologically. And yes, we hate that other people outside our club are saying it. 
but we should be willing to at least acknowledge the truth of what we saw yesterday. The manager is young as well. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I wrote an article earlier this year for Gunnerstown that would just compare this season to 89, and including the two seasons that led up to this season, and yeah. how many unbelievable similarities there are, and hoping that those would continue. And I was going to mention later on that the Derby and Wimbledon game, which with my friend John in the front row, would he's expecting me to say this, so I'm going to say it. I was at those games. I felt... What, that we had blown. We were all at, the, at, at Anfield in 89. I wasn't all, at Anfield. Everybody was at no. Anfield in 89. I wasn't at Anfield. <laughs> I'm not one of those people that say that. Uh, I know someone who was at Anfield. Yeah, 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 yeah we all do. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was Kevin Campbell, right? <laughs> but Actually, yeah, Kev was in the cop end. Um, he, was. he was a youth player, and uh, he watched it as a fan as well. It was kind of nuts, his story. He was about walking it. down the, the touchline when, when the goal went in. But, uh, I mean, no, the two games before that, though, the feeling was, how did we get here where we had this chance, and then all of a sudden, how did we blow it? Because we, we had blown it. And maybe now we feel like we've blown it. Maybe we haven't. We'll see. A little bit more time left in the season than there was that year, though. But, Sophie, you, um, if anyone's familiar with hockey and the, and the stat plus minus, uh, it's when a player is on the ice, if a goal scored, you get a plus. If a goal scored against you, you get a minus. So you can lose a game and have, like, a plus three rating. Sophie's rating yesterday was plus two because she arrived right <laughs> after the second goal from, uh, you know, she, she thought, you know, I'll get here ten minutes late. And I won't miss anything. And I finally, your... finally took off that bloody hat, and we almost lost. So... And I forgot to bring my scarf. Yeah. And uh, this... so, so... so we know whose fault it is. Right? Yeah, Sophie, my fault. Basically, it's all my fault. <laughs> how, um, how was your day yesterday? How was your, uh, your experience at the Globe? I mean, I know you had a good time, but I, I saw you on your knees uh, praying on a... On a uh, this sounds really bad, but on a, on a bench. Like, I mean, in the, in the 94th minute, you were... Doing anything um, you could to back get us in, over. Back in the day uh, when Beckham got injured for the World Cup and y- Rooney, the yeah, sun would really. do that sense of spread. You'd put your knees and pray on it just to, for their, them to be injury-free for the tournament. Okay, I'm Sophie. I have a confession to make. This is why I don't do watch-alongs. This is why I watch the games pretty much on my own because I swear a lot and I pray a lot and I pace. Uh, I love the vibe. This, the, I thought the roof was going to come off the pub with this, when the third goal went in. I have to admit, the second goal left me feeling numb. I just sat there, and I just thought, you bastards, don't do this, you know? <laughs> and uh, and I, when the third goal went in, though, my, I just I lost it because what that point means based on the last three games is just so huge, and we can still go to the Etihad clear and hope that we can get something out of it. I have to say, you know, I don't like... I was one of those people that definitely didn't see what Arteta's all about at the beginning. Another confession. Jesus Christ, what is this? Um, And I think that the journey we've been on this season supersedes what's happened in the last three games for me. I'm trying to be sensible about it, but at the same time, I really bloody want to win the Premier League badly. Like, really badly. And that game yesterday was the game that on our little, you know, game picks, we've got Southampton, three points. West Ham, three points. You know, Liverpool, a point. I was stoked with getting a point at Anfield. So it's not over. And until it's mathematically over, I'll keep believing. But it was a gut punch yesterday, and it hurt real bad, real bad. And Mikel Arteta, I... Everyone's saying the players shit the bed... 
But you know what? Sorry, they're children here. No. Okay. He fucking shit the bed. So, uh, we'll get to that, though. That's, that's my take. We will. So, Paul, let's, let's start talking about the game a little bit. Ramsdale. Mm-hmm. Overall view versus, I mean, was this a one-off or, or a three-off or whatever yesterday? Or, uh, you know, is this a systemic issue where he's maybe very talented at some things but not in others? Systemic, no. Uh, so we did our instant reaction yesterday. He was my stock falling. Um, one of the things he brings... Hey, that, that, that's paid content, so we need to... <laughs> I'll cover you. I'll give you 360,000 pounds for that. Deal. You're, you're seeing both sides of Elliot there. The guy who fleece his own granny, but the guy who got us to $450,000 for the Arsenal Foundation. So I know. contain multitudes. Yeah, he does. You have done in the past, but we won't tell those stories. Um, uh, yeah. Ramsdale. It was a fuck-up. Um, and especially because his MO is kind of the big personality, the kind of mentality monsters... But, like, you got to have been there. And he and this team has never been there. Um, the, clo- the Globe yesterday, by the way, absolutely fantastic. What a bloody atmosphere. And then the other side of that is they score. And, like, I've never h- heard such a dead sound. And, like, that's just because the connection of the, the fans with this team. What a gut punch. Three times. Um, so you get all the emotions there, which is why I don't go every week. It's, that's pretty heady stuff. Um, sorry to whoever got the beer shampoo from my glass. It was not my action, but I guess it was my shampoo. <laughs> um, or your toothpaste. Was it your toothpaste? My, <laughs> I, I've gone beyond toothpaste. All the toothpaste is always in the top of the tube these days. There's, there's no pushing the toothpaste up the tube, which is kind of a tactical point from yesterday <laughs> potentially Wh- where am I at with all of this like there's an emotional curve uh, I'm kind of around there probably like most of you guys I'm, I'm on the way back there's Wednesday here we've got to get back up for it the team has got to get back up for it Anfield 89 that's as good as an analogy as anything yesterday and maybe early this morning was which is the Salem time you talked about how the outside views the club Inside, it's all finger-pointing. It was this guy, it was that guy, it was the other guy. Uh, When do people do witch burnings? When things are really in the shitter and you don't have any answers. Hey, let's burn a few witches. That might work. So we're going to talk about lots of witches today. We'll burn them. Holding, Ramsdale, Party, Vieira, take your pick. There's the collective. There's the individual witches. We'll burn a few, see if that works. I didn't bring a lighter, so I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Metaphorical, Mark. Yeah, oh, okay. Metaphorical witch well, burning. And, and let's get into that. And, and you know, we're not just going to go start headhunting who to blame for everything that went wrong, but there are a few individual performances, and that tie- can Mike, can I just say something in favor of witch burning? <laughs> get it out of your system. Like, We're still talking about football, though, right? Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> yeah. So obviously... There's been a lot of debate, not about whether Holding should be playing over Saliba because Saliba hasn't been available, but how much that has actually hurt us in the last few games. 
Didn't hear as much debate about that against uh, Palace and, and the other games that, he, that he's played. But, John, um, the, let's, let's start with holding. Is, is he to blame? Uh, and, and I'll ask the, the entire panel because I've heard some interesting views on him. Uh, is he to blame about our change in, in play, about the way that we play offensively or defensively? And what would you have done differently than Arteta when it came to, when it came to either the starting lineup or substitution patterns? I, there's a lot to unpack there. First, yeah. I mean, how much can you really expect from what your fourth, fifth, maybe choice center back? Um, I think this, he's doing exactly what you would expect a player like holding to do when you come into a situation like this. So to say, can we blame him? It's kind of an interesting question when you have to unpack what that means. So is, is he a reason we're not playing as well? Well, if you don't have a player like Saliba, you're, by, you're not going to play as well, no matter what. Um, is that his fault? I don't think so. I think that when you have such a talent like that, it's going to have a drop in, in the production that you can create, either from a defensive perspective or even an attacking perspective when you look at the stats that, of, the, of how Saka would get the ball less now with holding. But I don't want to put a crosshair on him because I don't think we're losing games because of holding. Um, when you look at the collapses that we've had in the last couple games, it's showing some kind of a mentality thing. You have a young team. You have a young manager. It's not, I don't see it as much as a personnel issue necessarily, though I understand the counter-argument when you're looking at him maybe making some mistakes here and there, and it, it's not as structurally sound at the back. And I think the big argument for, for um, Ramsdale might be maybe some of the mistakes he's making recently have been because he doesn't have that solidity psychologically of Saliba at the back. Because it's one thing when you have Saliba and Gabriel, and it's another thing when you have Holding and Gabriel. Both of them have not been playing very highly, in my opinion. I think Gabriel has been a little bit rash as well. So I'm wondering if there's also a psychological effect on your other center back. You have a partnership, and we know that in football, the center back partnerships are a very special partnership, more so than anyone. I think maybe second might be a midfield partnership. But other than that, your center back partnership is the most important. And uh, I think that when you lose one, especially one that's been playing so well, it's going to have a knock-on effect. And I think it's going to affect the mentality of the team. And I don't think it's a mistake that we're starting to see these kind of bizarre mistakes from this team that maybe we wouldn't have seen earlier if we didn't have uh, all the team fit that has been playing so well with each other for the rest of the season. But I don't want to pick him out because I don't think it's his fault. I think he's doing the job that you would expect more so, I would imagine, from the, that kind of center back. Hate Rob Holding. I can't believe that. <laughs> Tom, uh, how much did we miss Granite Jaka yesterday? And 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 share your views that you've shared on your podcast about you know who you would have played in his place and what you would have done in game in that position. Yeah, you know, it, it feels like every time, every season, every summer, we talk about Granite Jaka. We talk about how can we upgrade on Granite Jaka, and yet every time he's not there, we suffer. And it kind of, I think, shows and symbolizes how important he is to the team and what he does for the team. And if you want to upgrade on Granit Xhaka, you've got to buy a hell of a player to be able to do that, to bring what he brings to the team. So, I, I, yeah, the importance is there. I feel if he's there yesterday, I don't think we, the game goes, even with the, the way it started, I feel like the, the calmness would be there more so than it was with his replacement, who I'll come on to. Um, but the importance of Granit Xhaka is, is going to be key for that eventual changeover as well for the player that comes in when we do eventually need to because you know, he's not getting any younger, I say, as a 28-year-old. But, yeah, that's the way it goes in football. But his replacement. His replacement was 
based on current footballing ability, the second best Vieira in that stadium yesterday. <laughs> I think we could probably say that. But tell, no, tell us about Fabio. We shouldn't really call him Vieira. <laughs> yeah, that, well, Fabio. that's true. Yeah. I, um, your thoughts? Now, should Fabio Vieira have been? We've we've seen him put in that position before, so you almost kind of know how Arteta works, and you knew that he would be the the guy to start there. But yeah. you've got some other options. Would you have played somebody else, or would you have played played him? If I was sitting here and I say I would have played someone else, I'd be lying because I felt as though Vieira is who Arteta considers the second choice left side eight in that midfield, and so. When it was debated about who would come in, who's going to come in for Xhaka, I knew it was going to be Vieira. I thought it was Vieira. And to be honest, I didn't really have an issue when I saw Vieira in the team, mainly because of who we were facing. I feel as though if it was Man City we were playing, maybe bringing Jorginho and Partey into the midfield would have been more sensical. But being Southampton, I think a lot of us thought, well, Vieira coming in, we've got Vieira and Odegaard. That's going to be a great outlet for us to go and attack with more ferocity and with a greater chance creation frequency. So... I didn't see necessarily an issue with Vieira starting this game, but what I saw an issue was almost from the first 10 minutes is maybe how maybe we've underestimated the impact of how little football he's had to play this season after getting 20-plus goal contributions for Porto the season prior. And the reasons why we signed these guys is because of the amount of research and analysis and scouting. You know, you think about the recruitment we've done under Arteta and Edu. That's what's got us into the position we are. That's what's got us the squad. So if they sign Vieira... I'm inclined to believe that they've signed him for the right reasons. But yeah, they just paid too much for him. Yeah, £34 million pounds is a hell of a lot of money, and it, it's going to bring expectation. Ironically, it's a very similar figure to the player that he replaced in the team yesterday. But that player that he replaced has been at the club for seven years, and then you're bringing in a player that's played, well, how many starts? I think you can probably count it on one hand, how many starts in the Premier League that guy's had. So there was an expectation, I think, that it was going to be a challenge for him. I think I underestimated how much he would struggle. Um, and I also feel as though we could have changed him probably at half-time based upon what we saw in the first half. But, yeah. We'll, we'll talk about the subs uh, that were made and not made, but, but you have some comments yeah. on Vieira and Jaka? So, nobody thinks Vieira played well yesterday, right? He didn't play well. Raise your hands and stand up if you think Vieira played well. <laughs> and walk out. <laughs> um, and, we got one. And I think most of us, in hindsight, would have said, well, why didn't we start... Leo Trossard, right? In every team, there's the player that we think could play a role, but the manager doesn't see it, right? I remember Thomas Vermeilen could be our could be our central defensive midfielder, right? We and managers don't just don't see it that way. I just want to say one thing about the the missing Shaka narrative of that and and the Vieira component to it. Vieira didn't play well. The entire game yesterday has to be viewed through the lens of conceding in the first minute. And it has to be viewed through the lens of the panic that creates and runs through the whole team. You have a young and experienced player who we know has a high technical level, but does not have the experience in that kind of pressurized situation. And immediately, you're in a rescue-the-game environment. And almost soon after that, you're 2-0 down. That completely changes what you're asking that young player to do. If we don't concede that goal in the first minute, do any of us think that we wouldn't have gotten our foot on the ball, gotten a hold of that game, and eventually found a way through? And, and so... While I don't think Vieira played well, I think it's important to say on the Shaka thing, and this is not to knock him. Granite Shaka was on the pitch when we threw two goals away at West Ham. Mm. Granite Shaka was on the pitch when we threw two goals away at Anfield. So we do like to live in the moment a bit. You know, Ramsdale, he cost it. Well, Ramsdale's the reason we didn't lose at Anfield, right? So, so everything has to be viewed through the lens of, um, I, I think, the season as a whole and the environment of the game state and how that influences a game. And so while I don't think Fabio Vieira played well, while I think Leo Trossard changed the game... Once the game was all hands to the pump, attack, 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 you have to score three to get the win, you need a very different dynamic. 
And that only existed because we threw two goals away at home to the bottom team. The only team in the Premier League that has fewer clean sheets at home than Arsenal is Southampton. That's the problem. And that is not indicative of a team that's ready to compete for a title. And, and I do think the Rob Holding thing, without wanting to, to stick the boot in too much, I think the problems at the back, I mean, we've scored two at Anfield, we scored two at West Ham, we scored three at home to Southampton. That should be nine points. And the fact that it's not nine points is not because Trissard played poorly yesterday as much as he did. It's because of, of the way we, we, have, le we have let... Not, not, not Trossard, Vieira. Vieira. <laughs> Trissard was brilliant. Love Trissard. But Vieira, that's the one. Anyway. Our, our attack has to score four goals right now to win a game. That's just not, that's not conducive. That's no. not the game we've been no. playing this season that, that's led to our success. Um, I realize this is kind of two, two comments in a row about Arteta in a sense, but... Uh, how, I, Are you trying to target me, Mike? I, I'm, I'm not, but you did say you wanted some spice in this podcast. So. Well, I like it spicy. Who doesn't? Well, let's... Again, listening to, to Tom this morning, it was, it was amusing that Tom ended up having to tell a listener uh, that he really did think that Arteta should have gone out onto the pitch 30 seconds in and told Ramsdale not to pass to that guy, and it was Arteta's fault that that goal went in. I'm not, I'm not placing you in that category. Shocking, I know. But what could Arteta, in your mind, have... I mean, how, did he, how has he, in the last three games been responsible or, or not responsible for kind of the capitulations mm. that we've had in various ways? Well, firstly, I'd like to say about Rob Holding, I can never, ever play my Arsene Wenger video ever again now. What, where I told him that he was... I wish he cost 50... I'm sorry, he didn't cost yeah. 50 million. Yeah, and I said he was such an astute signing and Wenger offered me a job on his scouting team. That video is dead, I think, now. I'm not sure. Unless Rob Holding plays against Haaland and City the way he did against, against Chelsea, Chelsea and Diego Costa. That is the holding I'm hoping and praying comes out. And if he does, we will carry him on our shoulders and we will immortalise him if we win that game and he plays well. Uh, Mikel, until the on goal at St. James the Park. Goal, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so I think the substitutions have been an issue and I think that's a common thread for a lot of Arsenal fans. But... To be fair to him also, the squad isn't where it needs to be. And I think we're seeing that in the latter half of trying to win a title. Beyond our starting 11, we just, the drop-off is way too much. Thank goodness we signed Trossard in January and we have that option. I don't understand why all of a sudden he's not using Jorginho enough when Jorginho started off on fire for us um, and, you know, from the Villa game on. Is it a pace issue? I think there's certain teams. You guys can tell me I'm not the tactical expert on the panel, but it feels like he's trusted players and then he doesn't play them. That's the part that he confuses me about. Yesterday, I, I said on our show last week to Kev, I, would, I can see Emil Smith-Rowe leaving Arsenal, maybe not this summer, but I can see him leaving. I'm, I'm going to Emery at Aston Villa. I can see that happening, right? He's going to want to play football. And a lot of these players, they just want to play football. What, he has, what he's done really well so far is keep everybody happy and keep it cohesive. But it's really tough for a manager when you've got your starting 11 and they're so good and they've been on fire and then you've got to rely on Rob Holding, Fabio Vieira and all these other players. 
I don't understand why he took Martinelli off when he, for me, he was the best player yesterday. He, I thought he's, I think that guy's heart's going to burst when I watch him play for Arsenal. He did not look happy either. Like shouldn't he, be happy. He did all the right things. He patted Arteta on the back as he went off, but I've never seen Martinelli look Good. as He as shouldn't cutting. be happy. And I think he was just shattered happy. to be not able to influence the game after that. Yeah, well, he scored a great goal, and when we needed a goal, he took off a goal scorer, and I didn't understand that. So, look, I'm not a... I'm not the manager, and um, but I'm a fan, and on our show we talk about these things, and I just think that in instances when you need something, Emil Smith-Rowe scored 10 goals last season, and he was happy to come off the bench in the latter season to just be part of the team. Is he not recovering well from his injury? I don't know. Has something happened since then? Is he actually not the same player since his injury? We don't know any of those things. So those are the parts that confuse me about Arteta. And just to finish... Everyone's going at the players. They definitely, like, were deers in headlights yesterday, right? And at, at the same time, Mikel Arteta, to me, on the sideline at West Ham and on the sideline at, uh, at yesterday, looked a little lost. I saw in his eyes a little bit like when that Liverpool game at Anfield, when we were playing well and he had the argument with Jurgen Klopp, and then the crowd got into it, and then after that, he looked like he didn't really have much to say and he looked a little bit lost and I, I, he needs to earn his crust right now. What are you all looking I, at? I just want to say no, nobody... <laughs> try, try not to read too much into the black cat yeah, hovering yeah. over I, the entire I'm not a superstitious person but I, I am instantly not feeling as good about the rest of the season as I was before. <laughs> that clearly doesn't mean anything. I, can, can I... Just, just one, one thing. Just, just super quick on the, on the subs. Like, I, I think... So firstly, you know, again, we did score three goals and... You know, we almost got a fourth. We did apply the pressure. I mean, it is really hard when you're saying, oh, the team should have scored four. Well, how many times do you score four, right? right. But, but what I thought was interesting yesterday is Mikel did something he didn't do at West Ham and Anfield that I wish he had done. Odegaard and Jesus were having a bad game, but he stuck with them because they're real class, and their class showed, and when the, when the chips were down, yeah. we saw our best players yes. step up, yeah. and Odegaard and Jesus are a big reason we, we got one instead yeah. of zero and nearly three instead of one. And I think if you could ask Mikel what his mistake was, he wouldn't say any of the subs against Southampton. He'd say, I should have let those yeah. guys influence the game at the Olympic Stadium and at Anfield and trusted their quality instead of an untested Kivi or, or Jorginho. When you just say, who do I want on the pitch to a game I have to win? Do I want it to be Jesus and Odegaard or do I want it to be Vieira and Kivi and Jorginho? I think we all know the answer. So it's not yesterday so much where I would critique the changes. It's that yesterday I think proves that maybe he, sh- he could have persisted with his quality. Strong, Elliot. Right. Strong. Good man. Get in there. Everybody, please stand up and clap for Elliot. No, 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 no. So, Mike, Mike, I know you're going to ask me a question, but uh, two things. I can't work under these conditions. There's a cat on a pipe. Dilly, Dilly, please get up there. Uh, and also, Mike, I know you're going to ask me a question, but there's like... Oh, my gosh. I don't have to ask you a question. If you are going to talk without me prompting you, you can be my guest. Basically, I come from a podcast in which the tradition is to ignore Elliot's questions and talk about what you're going to do. So that's what That I'm... makes my job ten times easier. It's Go almost ahead. like Clive is here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I've only got one insightful take, or at least I think it's insightful, so it's on Rob, Rob Holding. The thing is, we think about Rob Holding in terms of maybe making us defensively more vulnerable. We all know he's not this kind of centre-back. Like, we're playing the second ha- highest line in the league. And against Southampton, we must have been at record levels how high we were pushing up. It's not really his game. 
He's a solid center back for a team like that FA Cup final. We had three at the back. We uh, Chelsea were maybe the stronger football team at that point. We were pushed right back. It was around the penalty box. That's that's uh, that's his jam. And now we're asking him to play a different kind of game. But the bigger thing I thought yesterday in terms of like if you go back a couple of months ago and we th- finding out we were going to lose Saliba and you're thinking, well, there are certain games holding will be fine. This is one of the games you would have said holding will be fine. Yes. And what I learned and appreciated yesterday is one of the things Saliba does, one of the things our team does, remember all those moments yesterday where we take a shot and you'd beat two guys, but the third guy would be the guy who blocked it. There'd be four guys between Saka or Martinelli, or Odegaard, or whoever, or Trossard later on, who were taking a shot, and it's a really, um, what's his face, uh, Reese Nelson, right? Four guys between him. What's his face wasn't bad yesterday. Yeah, he, he was pretty good. Um, but like, you got four guys between him and the goal. What Saliba does for you, with Gabriel, and with White, and with Party, is he does la pausa, right? They put their foot on the ball, but by bringing it back, bring it back to Saliba, he'll maybe spin a player, he'll pull them out. He creates those spaces between the lines that then when you come back and attack, like he was a big part, Saliba was, of how you draw out the opponents so that you can come back through the middle, down the sides, across, and there are the spaces between the lines. That's what I, I guess, took away from the Southampton game yesterday. Holding, I would have said a month and a half ago, yeah, he'd be great, he'd be fine in those kinds of games because we'll dominate the ball. Actually, apart from all the passing and the distribution things and the defending thing that Saliba does, the other thing he does is he invites the opponent onto him. He holds onto the ball till they come right to him, and then you've got some lines to play through. I think you saw in the whole second half, four guys between whoever was taking the shot and the back of the net, and Saliba just draws them out. And when we were in the green room getting ready, uh, Paul said to Mike, the only really important thing is give me an opportunity to say La Pausa. They'll be yeah. really impressed by this, that. So that. That, ladies and gentlemen, is what you call tactical nous. Yeah. <laughs> can, can I say one thing on the holding thing? Um, it, it's interesting. Uh, I mentioned the psychological effect of it, and I think that's also part of this, missing saliva. It's a, people call it intangible, and you can laugh at that. And they talked about this aura that Virgil van Dijk had when he was kind of dominating for Liverpool. But I think Saliba has a little bit of that. That you know, he's this big, imposing, you know, assured central defender. So when you're missing that, I think a lot of a, a lot of that benefit that you get that you can't really put your finger on goes away as well. And, and not only just for the fans or the, or the players of the opposing team, but I think for our players as well, like Ramsdale, like Ben White, all those players, I think that aura that Saliba had, that everything's going to be okay, goes away. And I think we saw a lot of it, a little bit of that. We've watched every game this season. Ask yourself this. How many times this season, yeah. prior to yesterday, have you ever seen Thomas Party drop into the back line right. to be in the first phase of he was He was almost right at our, at our six-yard We've never box. seen it all season. Yep. And, and he's not doing that if, that's, if Saliba's there. Correct, you know? correct. And I think that that's a cycle. That might be a tactical thing that Arteta's having them do, and it might just be a, a, an, an automatic thing that he's doing to try to protect the defense because we're not as assured with someone like Holding. And that's not his fault. You know, I think he's doing the best that he can, and he's doing a job that you expect from, a, like I said, a, a fourth-choice center back. But... Um, it's definitely there, I think. <laughs> so I do like to look at perspective. It's something I always kind of harp on because, you know, I don't know if you know this, but the podcast and, like, the social media world surrounding Arsenal can be kind of reactionary um, no. in both directions. 
So I, I've always kind of harped on, you know, well, are we looking at what just happened in the last two hours? Are we looking at what's happened in the last two weeks? Are we looking at what's happened in the last nine months or three years? And, and I think you can, you can have various feelings about those things that are not always in you know, Congress with each other. So the one question I hate so much that I'm going to ask it now, uh, is somebody told you at the beginning of the season that we'd be top of the table in April, and I hate that question because the next part always involves biting off someone's hand or ripping someone's arm off or something. And, and it's just, there's no need for that violence. But at the same time, uh, starting with you, John, uh, I mean, can you put perspective on this late season wobble? And I think that's a kind of an understatement for yeah, what we're is. going through right now. That is an understatement. Can you put perspective on that? In, a, in the perspective of where is Arsenal Football Club as a team either on the rise or out of their depth or, or whatever? Where, where, how do you see things? How do you prefer to look at things? Right now? Uh, John, I, what I are think you thinking about? It? How about the word bobble? Bottle and wobble. A bobble. We're having a bobble. Nah, it's more than a bobble. Bobble reminds me of like something that goes like this. Like I bobble. feel like we're, we're, like, we're like dropping the wedding cake. Um, okay. th that, that's kind of where I'm at. Um, but... Uh, it, to, to answer your question, <laughs> to answer your question. Five second rule? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it works that way. Uh, I, feel like, uh, I feel like if you had told me that we'd be fighting Man City for the title, I'd be happy with that. If you told if you had to rip my arm off, right? If you had told me that we'd possibly lose in the manner that we seem to be doing right now, um, which hopefully doesn't materialize, but then I would not be happy with that. So um, I think when you look at Taking the like COVID year aside, I think we're ahead of schedule of where Arteta wants to be with respect to his project and trusting the process that we're all supposed to be doing here. Um, I don't think that any person was expecting us to be neck and neck with Man City at this point in whatever this kind of project is. And it's and it's for me at least. Uh, I, I feel like it's hard for me to be too upset about if we do lose it, but at the same time, man, I'm going to be upset if we do lose it. So uh, it's kind of this paradoxical feeling that I have with respect to how, how long I've been wanting to see us compete. There was a time when you asked me, what do you want to see from Arsenal Football Club? And the answer was, I want to see us at least challenge for the title. That's, the, that's what we should be doing every season. And, you know, there was a point where top four was a trophy for us. And there was, let me rephrase that. There was a point where top four, that wasn't enough for us. And then there was a point where top four was the goal. And then there's another next step, which is we need to be challenging for the title, which is what Arsenal used to be, that we would be going into a season as favorites to at least be in the conversation. And I think that that's where we are right now. So if you asked me at the beginning of the season, is Arsenal going to be going into the next season? I said I hate that question, by the way. If you're going to be going into the next season uh, as potential in the, in the top conversation for who's going to be challenging for the title, I think that based off of whatever kind of business clubs do in the summer and how we finish, we're in that conversation now, and we weren't last season. So that's progress to me. Um, but I do see there's some things that need to be fixed from a mentality perspective. But then again, you can kind of rationalize those away. Young squad, young manager, they're going to learn from this. And you think, okay, look at what this club did when they missed out on the top four last season, right? We saw a 180, a complete 180 with the club. We saw them all of a sudden now pushing, again, against this juggernaut that is Man City and, and Holland, who I, I don't think will ever stop scoring goals. So um, what happens when, if, not when, if, we miss out now. I think that we're going to hopefully see a similar kind of a change for next season. So, again, my goal, 
challenge for the title. We're doing that this season, and I think we're going to be doing that next season as well. Um, so that, I, I can't really be too upset about that. And if you told me that's where we would be now, I'd bite your arm off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even though he doesn't know what to do with his own hands, he's going to bite other people's arms off. Yeah. Same, same question, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask everyone the same question. But, but, Tom, does the manner in which this seems to be going change things? I mean, there are two ways to finish, and if, hypothetically, we finish second, there are two ways to finish second. There's dropping down from first, and there's rushing up to second. And, yeah. and you'll feel differently, won't you? Yeah, of course. I, you know, it sounds... Uh, me and Elliot were talking about this yesterday. It's, it, wouldn't be on, it wouldn't be beyond the realms of possibility that Arsenal end the season, you know, 10 points off City. I don't want that to be the case, but based upon the last three results, it's difficult to see a reality where that doesn't exist. I'm hoping that what we've seen in those three games, the start of the Liverpool game, the start of the West Ham game, how we rallied in yesterday's game... You know the potential of this Arsenal. You know what it can achieve. You know that we can go to City and, you know, as Gary Neville of all people just said the other day, boo, by the way, um, <laughs> that we can rip any team apart if we've got the, be- that you've got the, the capability on the day. Exactly, that famous cliche. You had your, you should, where's your bell, by the way? I, I, I made a very conscious decision not to bring the bell. Today. Fair enough. But what's frustrating for me, I think, is when people describe this season if we do finish second as a failure because it's so not that I look back at the FA Cup victories we've had in the last 10 years whether it was Arsene Wenger's stopping of the the going to 10 years without a trophy whether it was the FA Cup the year after that whether it was his final one as as Arsenal manager whether it was even Arteta's one finishing 8th in the table and rescuing European qualification I wouldn't swap any of those FA Cups for this season because this season is so important for us getting back to where we want to be as a football club. And if you ask me if any of those previous four FA Cups got us closer to being title challengers in the following season compared to this one, and you feel it's the FA Cup, I'd ask you to look again, because what we've done leading up to this campaign, be it with recruitment, be it with the change of manager two and a half years ago, be it with moving players out that we desperately needed to move out, Koffer Bamiyang, you know. So we needed to move those players on and we needed to sculpt the club in the way that we've sculpted it. And that has led us to this point now. And what I think we will do next season is establish ourselves with further recruitment and furthering what Arteta set aside for us. Tom, you can blame Arsene Wenger for selling us um, the FA Cup teams as potentially being Premier League winning teams. Mm. That's on him. Well, and Let's give it to Sophie for the blame Arteta and blame Arsene Wenger <laughs> trifecta. I mean, just win everybody over. But it is. He, he's but as a panel, we're all cronky in, right? I mean, oh, yeah. when, when it comes no one to loves the, a billionaire like Paul. When it comes to the scapegoats. But that, that brings up an interesting question because, you know, you, you've just basically placed a, te- a, a season where we may finish second and trophyless above an FA Cup winning. Yeah. You know, and, and and the, I, I never used people to were always like, would you rather have top four or would you rather have... A trophy and and you well, <laughs> Tottenham would take anything other than that toilet seat they that was held up before. Manager who could have won them a trophy oh, a week before the final. Desperation hire. All right, so Elliot. Well, yep. yeah. So so I, talk about the bell. If I had my mug, I'd tap the two things can be true uh, segment. <laughs> I am going to go with a, a beloved two things can be true. There is a, a lens through which you can look at this, which is the project TM. And we all have respect for and appreciation for the project and the way that is uh, being constructed. The way the team is being built, the journey that we're on, and we realize that it is a multi-season process. 
But we should still have the right to experience seasons as their own story. And you have the right to be furious, crestfallen, heartbroken if we don't do this. And so I don't think being heartbroken from the position we were in over not winning the title means that you think Edu out and Arteta out. And by the way, if you think that, like, you know, we, we have a, a phone number you can call. There's, like, thing, help for that. But, like, like <laughs> you, you can look at the season through the lens of just the story that's being told this season. And from the position we got ourselves into, the results we've just had, based on what happens next, it will be true that we threw the title away. Threw it away with a extraordinarily good point total, with tons of goals scored, with the most fun season I've had in a decade. All of those things are all true together. And none of it means that I don't think we're on the right trajectory. So of course we will go into next season feeling we're positioned for future success. But I think you can still rightfully look at this season and if it doesn't happen, let the disappointment in just a little bit. Because the funny thing about the disappointment is it is in a way a validation of, of the, the fact that we could have done it. Right? The, the, this sort of mealy mouth, oh, it's City, we can't beat City. You know, like, maybe we can't. But that's the task we have in front of us. That's a great point, Eddie. Remember the narrative last year? Oh, we bottled it for top four. Well, fucking, we breeze, just breeze through that. You're absolutely right in terms of saying a narrative says you can't do something and the next year, bump. Yeah. I heard 40 people screaming last year, all I want for Arsenal, I don't demand, I don't deserve a title, I, we don't deserve Champions League titles. I just want the team to compete and be there in April. Was that you? I, I, yeah. But also, no, fuck that. Right. Like, I want a title. I, I want to win the... It's well, been well, of 10 course, years. Of course. Let's win the fucking title. Yeah. Like, let's not but, feel so bad for ourselves <laughs> that, oh, t Manchester City has too much money. To no, make I'm, not all that I'm not saying win it's the enough title. just to compete. I'm saying that everyone's goal for this year was, I just want to be in it. And we're in it, and yet the same people are often going to now say... Oh, this has been a failure. I'm, I'm not talking about anybody here. Not failure, lads, but disappointment. No fighting. Come on, lads. <laughs> if it's the same trajectory that we've been on, we're going to be bottling the Champions League final next season and winning the league. So I'm okay with that, to be fair. <laughs> but also Arteta out for bottling the Champions League final. <laughs> oh, exactly. 100%. Uh, we couldn't yes, even we could be sporting Lisbon in the Europa League and now okay. we're in the Champions League final. okay. Oh, so we. Oh, Debbie Downer here. <laughs> I thought I was so, being a real. So, Sophie, Arteta. No, I'm just kidding. No, right. Um, now, perspective what, on where we are and, and, and are we headed into next year, no matter what happens this year, so, on the up? So, sometimes it's really good to get perspective from non Arsenal people. I find that's really healthy, right? Because we're in this bubble. And the last few weeks, I've, I've, spoke, I've been speaking to the Anfield rap guys throughout the season doing some stuff for them, and they've been coming and doing some stuff for us. And I spoke to Stevie Nichol, and I did an interview with Ian Doyle from the Liverpool Echo. He was the journalist that wrote the Lucky um, article, which I'm sure you all read. A few things out of that. Ian Doyle's, Ian Doyle's article was nothing but Arsenal are lucky because of all these other things that are happening in the Premier League or what Chelsea are not doing, what City aren't doing this season and Chelsea, etc. The Anfield rap guys and Stevie Nichol felt like he was so off 
right? That's their own community, their own people. But they felt like there's nothing lucky about Arsenal's season. You guys have been a great team to watch as a neutral, and you've also been one of the best teams, not only in England, but in Europe this year. That Europa League comment just came back to bite me in the arse. Um, so when you hear it from them, and then Ian Doyle, when I said to him, well, why... Why write that? Well, it was clickbait, of course, but also his answer was quite enlightening for me. He goes, we're bitter. I go, how can you be bitter? And then I started putting pictures up of Anfield 89 and our Shavin doing the four. I go, surely you can't be bitter about, you know, that, but you can be bitter about 89. He said, no. He said, my lucky comment, and that's, he should have said that because it would have been such a better piece, Right. He's bitter because everyone is struggling this season that Liverpool have failed to capitalise on this moment. Chelsea have failed, right? Man United have failed. And here we are, Arsenal, the, the English club, the way we try, always try to do it the right way. We haven't spent the gazillions, even though we've spent gazillions, you know, saying we're just bitter that it's you and not us. You know why those teams are failing? Because we beat them this year. And that's, that's the thing, though. I think that, you know, yes, do I want, I want to win the Premier League bad. I don't know if I'm going to go to Pluto or Mars if we don't. Because it's, the, it's not about my own feelings. It's about I can't deal with all the rubbish that's going to come from the outside. Because yeah. I don't think it would be, okay, Man United fans, where are you right now? You want to talk about bottling? Bottling is losing 7-0 at Anfield. That's bottling for me. Yeah. Right, so that's how I feel. I've been on, I, I, I've enjoyed the journey and I said to Kev, like, I'm trying not to think about the end because the journey's been so amazing. We talked about it when you came on with Clive. That's what I'm focused on. But if the end ends badly, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. No, nor should you. But, you know, I think as the summer goes on, it'll probably start to set in. We'll see. Is this, is this, was this club just happy to be here or are we really continuing to still build something? Paul, the last word before the intermission, your perspective on where we are as a football club. All right, it's a process. We know that. Um, the sequence is important in assessing a season emotionally. Um, you know, I guess I always was concerned if we didn't end as strongly as the season had been. But holy shit. Go back to last season. We ended badly. We had a brilliant preseason. We came out of the traps like an absolute bullet. We've had a great season. It'll be a great season, and we'll get stronger next year. Mikel Arteta is machine learning and AI. He's a man with a plan. He's fucking ruthless. He is fucking ruthless. He's not here to get top four. He's not just here to win the league. He's going to try and win Champions League, go deep. Don't be worrying about Smith Rowe next year. We're not just going to be in two competitions next year, playing 52, 53, 55 games. We're going to be in four competitions seriously. We're winning the Emirates Cup, goddammit. Come on. We're winning that shit. So don't be worrying about that shit. There's going to be loads of minutes, loads of big games. He went for the League Cup this year in the FA Cup. No. I don't mean that. Because he's a man with a fucking plan. That's next year. We're only on DEFCON 3. We're going to... Is it DEFCON 5 or DEFCON 1? I don't know. I think know. it's bad when it gets lower, but I, I, it's been a long time. Here's my analogy. You got, a, you got a nice meal. 
You got four really delicious ingredients. Only one of them isn't delicious. It's a turd. And you got to decide what order you're going to eat your ingredients in. A turd, yes. Are you going to eat it first to get it out of the way? I think I'm going to have something nice first. I'm going to have a turd second. I'm going to have something delicious. And then I'm going to have something delicious. Unfortunately, we get to eat the turd last. I, I have to edit this it. shit every day. Every day I got to sit down and edit this shit. You see what? Unfortunately, that's this season. But we're going to go strong in preseason. We're going to go strong next year. We are a learning machine. It's a process. It's going to be all okay. Wednesday, who knows what happens after that. It could be a really... Look, we talked yesterday and I offered you the deal and you, you went back and forth. Would you take beating City and a good second and just we give up everything else or would you roll the dice on the season? I'll tell you, I'd take beating City and coming second. He's a famous coward. <laughs> and going out strong. Um, it's a gamble. So, so, so actually, Wait, this versus is, what the alternative? I'll, I'll just say this. So, I, I thought this was the most ridiculous the, proposition. The alternative ever is whatever happens, and a lot of people weren't feeling very good about what was going to happen. We did start next. going down this path, and intellectually, yeah. if you think about it, you're like, "That's ridiculous. Why would I take beating City in second? Like, let's go win the title." I'm trying to process. We, so we started thinking about. It. We're like, "Well, you know, it's it's not unrealistic. We lose to City. Right. They're they're really good, and, and we may not have our full squad. And I mean, it's not out of the question we could lose at Newcastle. That's a hard place to go. And right. I mean. It's not unreasonable. You could drop points to Brighton. Brighton. They're really good. And you start doing the math, and you're like, well, actually, anyway, well, shit, this could, like, finish in a way that leaves us feeling a lot less encouraged. So so Paul's point was, like, if you could get a win at the Etihad and just come up short, like, versus what I just laid out. And You're talking me into it. No, we want to go win the title, but, like, that's still on the table, and that's the scary thing. We all want to win the title. That wasn't the question. But, like, you got to pick one. Yeah. What you think? If we can't you, win it, how do we want to know? Yeah. If we're going to lose, the, if we're going to lose off the title, like how bad do we want to lose? I think they call that Sophie's choice. Do you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's my choice. Um, do you know? Do you know what that adds? Is I get. What, you know what? Your crazy mind. I'm sitting here thinking. I can't believe I'm buying into his crazy shit here. But they all come around eventually. You know what it, you know what it adds? <laughs> um, is pedigree. Yeah. The pedigree of yeah. beating them. We beat, we broken ducks. This is why I thought we were going to win the title. Yeah, we broken ducks this season. We're breaking records. Like, to beat them, to beat Tottenham twice. To be- if you think about it, to Paul's point, there is the narrative we bottled it last season. And I think we all know why maybe that is or is not true. If we fall away this season, that narrative is going to be there. And next season, we think we're going to be in this position again. How does this team convince itself next season that it can do it from a good position? And to Paul's point, as crazy as it is, as usual, Knock off the um, if we do beat City, go on to do pretty well, just fall short on goal difference or buy a point, I think the narrative will not be they bottled it. It'll be they went toe-to-toe with one of the best teams in the world and just came up short. What a great season. They can go do it next season. We cannot afford to fall away again and then go into next season with that question. Where would we need to be in April next season to believe we could do it? Right. Right? We, we need that belief. We, that can't, can we can't have to constantly be going through this cycle where we have to be 18 points up on our rival in order to not worry that we're going to bottle it again. I'd take the points deduction now, though, if they want to give it to <laughs> that, <somebody else. laughs> That's true. So if we're going to lose it, we just kind of not lose it too bad, basically. Well, we've been talking about bottling it. Someone who is not bottling it is the five of you.
I just, I really love that we get to have this and that I get to be a part of this. I'm in a stage of my life where otherwise I'd be working my job, I'd be raising my kids, and I'd be, you know, yeah. just, just living my life. And instead... Fuck them, man. Fuck that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think we're all better off that I'm not doing that. Um, and, and, you know, their therapists will have that problem to solve another day. But this, this is awesome. And I, so most, most, most of all, just the most important thing, thank you for caring about it at all. And it may not be us. It may be Sophie. It may be Tom. It may be John. It may be, well, it's probably, you know, one of the people I named. Me, yeah. <laughs> it may be Mike. Um, it, is, it is a really beautiful thing. Have you ever gone to one of these events and been like, wow, those were terrible people? Because I never have. So we must be doing something right. And the most important thing is just um, as long as we engage on the, on the points, on the topics, and, and take each other seriously with respect, I love it. So I really thank you for being a part of it, because it means the world to me. Well said. Tom, we'll, uh, we'll go to you on this, and then we're going to wrap it up here. Yeah, look, anyone that's, that's been part of the TGT community will know how much of an emphasis I've put on respect and community and making sure that it's a place where if you want to voice an opinion about Arsenal, people are going to listen. They're not just going to bat away what you say especially in the Arsenal community in particular, you know, there are great people out there. I am so fortunate to have met the people that are on this panel and to do the things that I've done with the people on this panel in a football, that, that was coming out weird, wasn't it? <laughs> Paul was getting excited then for a second. <laughs> but I think that ultimately, you know, we come, I've come to an event. This is the first Arsenal America event I've ever been to, and I could not have felt more welcomed by nicer yes, people. Yes, I've not bought a single drink here at all, and I, I loved you guys for that. It's, it's the most lucrative week he's ever had. I know. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's been great. It's been absolutely fantastic, and I think that you, know, you, did, you guys deserve a round of applause for yourselves for how fantastic you've been. Woo! And thank you to everybody that has... I know Mike's going to give you thanks shortly, but genuinely, just from a personal point of view, for coming all this way and travelling to, to see so many of you, it's like, you know, people travel all over the world to see sights and see things, but I don't think anything can ever beat meeting new people, beat meeting new friends, and, uh, and making relationships that so will, I remember forever. It's, it is, it's great, and I mean, if it's very difficult and it's very pricey to travel abroad, but if in any way you can travel to get to, to London and to get to a game, I encourage you to add it to your bucket list, to do it, to meet up with other Arsenal fans, you know, and join any one of the communities that we have here, because there's great ways, as Sophie said, about meeting new people in that way. I, we have a Strava group from me and Sophie do our Eat, Sleep, Arsenal, Repeat Fitness podcast. Two people met doing cycling in Alicante, and then went to a game in Alicante together to watch. You know, it's mad. The Alicante. And now they have seven kids together. Yeah. <laughs> is Alicante like al dente? <laughs> no. I'd be remiss if I didn't point this out, by the way. Tim, on our pod, met his wife on Twitter. Yeah. Right? So, I mean, like, it, it, it happens. Elliot and I met them. on Twitter. Right, so there's good and the bad. You take the good and the bad. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, I <laughs> Meanwhile... I met my wife on CompuServe. <laughs> this has been the first annual Gooner's Palooza, Gooner Palooza Live podcast. First, let's please give a loud thank you to Redline VR for hosting this event Woo! today. Woo! Henry behind the board. Give, us, give your hand. Come on, you've been great. Thank you to the amazing Chicago Gooners for hosting us this entire weekend. Unbelievable job. Jim, Dilly, 
Scott, everybody from the uh, Alan, everybody from the Chicago Gooners has been amazing. Thank you to the VIP ticket holders, aka bots, who sold out the section in five minutes and then sold their tickets on the secondary markets for twenty-eight thousand euros each. Thank you. It's all going to the fundraiser, baby. Oh yeah, all. And speaking of which, thank you to everyone who bought a ticket. All proceeds from today go to the Arsenal Visions Arsenal Foundation Fundraiser AF. Personal thank you from me to everyone on this panel. Um, we we kind of touched on this, but uh, podcasters often get a bad rap for being kind of egotistical, blustery, disingenuous uh, to get clicks or or views or whatever. And 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 there's there, there's uh, there's two kind. Of, you want more? No, no. There's five people sitting with me today that, um, and, and the people that they surround themselves with that are the hardest working, most genuine, creative, interesting, and truly good people in the game today. Uh, and then Elliot. Uh, <laughs> it's a special treat. I feel like an outlier, but it's a special treat counting them as my friends. It's been a special treat sitting amongst them tonight. These people are spending their time and effort and energy and love for the club and for other people doing what they do, and I'm really proud to sit amongst you guys tonight. Thank you for joining us. We love you, Mike. Can I do the line? Mike. Are we done? done? Mike, do we get a closing statement each? Go ahead, yeah. So, so yeah, let's let's you know for anyone who doesn't know, let's let's we'll go one more time across the table. Let us know where to find you on Twitter or other social media or Mastodon or whatever. <laughs> no, I didn't. I just meant a closing statement. Yeah, that's what ahead. we do on the Highbury School. Go ahead, we but we're gonna start with Paul though. Yeah. Oh, I've got a closing statement. <laughs> I love you guys. I really fucking love you guys. Say what you like about Twitter as an app, but like social media, that's how I met all you guys. Uh, there's good and bad out there. But I absolutely fucking love these events. The, the, the ones among you who came along and you're like, well, I don't really know anybody. I'm coming on my own and stuff. Come up and say hello. Yeah. Fucking love it. Thanks, everybody. Good, so. job. good job. Good job. Good job. You didn't bring up turd one time in your closing statement. Uh, hang on a second, Sophie. I've got to jump in there. <laughs> uh, I, I'm so grateful for good people. And in this world, you, you know, sometimes when you get older, you don't feel like you're going to meet good people because you feel like you've got your tribe, right? And this football club never ceases to amaze me with meeting new people. There are a lot of great Arsenal fans out there. Our club is beautiful and the people who support it are also beautiful. And I think we need to stick together. No matter what happens at the end of this season, we've said it maybe two or three years, in, you know, in the last two or three years. Trust but I truly person. feel like we have our Arsenal back. And that is a lot. Look what it means. Look where we are. Our club has brought us here together. No matter whether we win or lose, we have this. And I think that's important. But the next level is to win and to bring back the winning culture and memories. And we won't stop until we win. And as fans, we want to win. Don't downgrade what you want as a fan. Don't ever be afraid to talk about what you want as a fan. 
ever, because whatever you think and whatever you believe, you have every right to as an Arsenal fan. Thank you for making me part of this event. Chicago Gooners, let me tell you something. Your branding is fucking cool. <laughs> you are awesome. This event is amazing, and you guys have done a phenomenal job. Thank you so much, humbly. I'm so, I'm so happy to be part of it. Uh, so super quick, uh, to Jim Minnelli, thank you for uh, first the karaoke, but also the organizing and everything did. To Dilly as well, who put in a tremendous amount of work, and, and none of this would have happened without that. Mike, and the whole team. Mike, like the work you've done is like, I make fun of you because you're an easy target, because you take it and I you're brilliant. It. Mike is the most loving, wonderful human being you could hope to meet, whether you're in London, whether you're in Chicago, wherever you find him at an Arsenal event. This is the one person you can walk up to and say, help me feel a part of this, and you will feel a part of it. You are a beautiful human. Peace. I love you, and thank you for everything you do for us. Um, and your fundraising, of course, for Gunners vs. Cancer. Uh, obviously, I just want to say we're sticking around, so I hope we'll get to meet all of you. Come out, talk, hang out, have a drink. Like, really looking forward to meeting everybody. Um, and, and then last but not least, we love you, and we'll talk to you after Arsenal 10 City No. Yeah. <laughs> Had to get that in. Tom? Yeah, so you can follow me at the Guna Talk TV. Uh, <laughs> Patreon address, please. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Memberships. No, it's been great. Uh, I can only echo what Elliot said about Mike. He's been fantastic. You know, I've known this guy for, what, the better part of eight years. And, you know, it's definitely worth the, the, the costs of that. Yeah. Uh, he came all the way. It's a two-way street. <laughs> he came all the way to the UK when I got married last year. Um, and, you know, has been an amazing friend of mine for the last, yeah, it must be he's, eight he's years or so. Human. Yeah. So... Stop. Make sure, you, make sure you give your thanks to Mike when you do speak to him later because he's you know, done some great stuff. As well as, of course, our fantastic host. Thank you so much to everybody that's helped put this together. It's been amazing. I feel so, so welcomed by everyone here. And, uh, yeah, I wouldn't have changed it for the world. So, uh, well, we could have won. Maybe one yeah. thing. <laughs> John, your, John, your final words about me. I actually was going to say one more final round of applause for Mike. <laughs> Uh, and I also want to give a shout out to the Chicago Gooners because I'm, yeah. I'm, 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 yes, please. Uh, so I, I came from Miami where you know we had like the Miami Arsenal Supporters Club, and it was you know I knew that one thing that's awesome about this club is that you can do something like move to a new city and know there's already people that you're going to have a common interest with, and I and I found that when I came when I came here it was during the COVID time so it was a little bit difficult, but when I got here, you know it was. It was awesome, and everyone was super war welcoming and warm, and their stuff is really cool. So if you haven't bought a scarf yet, go and get a scarf. All their s They're out. You're out. We'll see. <laughs> no scarf left. Sorry, but... Um, get on the waiting list for scarves. Yeah. It, re yeah. In reality, they're, they're awesome. The, the Globe is one of the coolest places I've ever watched a football match in my entire life, including the Emirates. So it's, you know, I've been, you know, if you're lucky enough to go... I'm saying, I'm saying, I like, I, I like watching in the pub, I, I, the Tollington and all that stuff. That was fun, but you know, having a place in your hometown, which is this, Chicago is for me now, that is that vivacious and awesome and fun. And oh, Tom, <laughs> I, I've just seen something truly harrowing, <laughs> and then the Lord's coming up now. <laughs> All right, so I think we all know what's coming, but first, I just want to say again, my name is Mike. Uh, 
I host an occasional podcast on the Gooners podcast. Two of my podcast co-hosts are here up in the uh, in the VIP section, Jared and Aston. And uh, please, if you if you aren't already following everybody on this on this panel, please do. And um, and, and please remember to give very very generously, as you all already have, to the Arsenal Vision Arsenal Foundation. First, a quick word from Matt Turner, and then Malort. Or Malert. I've done this shot before, and let me tell you what happened. When I did it, I threw up. <laughs> that makes two of us. Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry, mate. Hey, guys, it's Matt Turner here. I just wanted to give a big shout-out to the Chicago Gooners. Thank you so much for your support and your donation to the Arsenal Charitable Foundation. Um, everything you do, all the support that you give every single year is, is really felt, and it's going to go a long way. So thanks again from here in London. Come on, you Gooners, and it's Malort time. Everybody but me have one. I'll take yours. Get out while you can, Joel. I have a medical waiver. I cannot, I cannot have a shot. Do you guys really want me to project our vomit yes. on the stage? Yes. Go, go. Still, and we'll be passing said, off the, we'll be passing off the, the Friday. Roof, I would never do it again. I've done it two more times now. This is silly.